Hi there, and thank you so much for tuning in to Asking for a Friend, a podcast that covers all those topics relating to sex, intimacy, and relationships that you might feel a little too embarrassed to ask about. I'm your host, Katrina Buffard, and I'm a clinical sexologist, psychotherapist, and sexuality researcher. Just a warning, this podcast may contain conversations of a sexual nature, and so if there are little ones around, it's best for you to turn off and listen later. This episode is sponsored by Desire, South Africa's leading sexual health and wellness store. Very sneaky little discount. Stay tuned to the end of the episode. I'm never surprised when consulting with a new couple that one partner is usually keen to be in couples therapy and the other partner kind of feels like they're being dragged there against their will. I'm also not surprised that people think couples therapists are there to fix their partner, which obviously couldn't be further from the truth. Today, I'm chatting to Stephen Laverick, who's a counseling psychologist based in Johannesburg. Stephen helps me to dispel the myths about couples therapy, shares with me what he frequently sees in his practice, and advises couples on how to get the most out of the therapy space. I'd actually like to dedicate this episode to a dear friend and colleague of mine and Stephen's who passed away in December. Donna, you taught us both so much, and you will continue to be an inspiration to us both. This one's for you. Stephen, it's so lovely to have you join us today. You know, when it comes to couples therapy, I really think that it's a topic we've got to explore more and we've got to debunk more. And mm. how long have you been working as a couples therapist? Kate, I've been working with couples now for seven years. It's actually as long as I've been practicing as a psychologist. I imagine in that time that you've seen a lot when it comes to the dynamics between couples. Oh, yes. I mean, wow, where does one start with that? I mean, I remember, I think my first couple that I ever saw after after graduating, it was, it was really one of those kind of... Um, jumping in in the deep end and we'd done uh, at university we'd done a kind of a seminar paper on on couples therapy but never really done anything kind of practically you know we'd not had uh, opportunity to do role plays or anything like that so it really was kind of been jump pushed in at the deep end and luckily it was a, a short term uh, it was through an EAP program that I started um, with this particular couple but it was probably one of the most hair-raising and terrifying experiences that I've ever been through because they literally did walk into the room and start, you know, the scorecards came out and the boxing gloves went on and for probably over an hour, they just literally screamed and shouted at each other. And I remember towards the end of the session saying to them something like, you know, you could do this without at home without having to pay me to do it in front of. Um, and I realized that actually I was a lot more direct in couples therapy than I am in individual therapy. But yeah, I mean, to answer your question, I mean, it really has been um, ranging from, you know, infidelity to uh, communication issues that come into the room to just downright hating themselves or hating each other. You know, something really has gone wrong in the relationship and they just end up wanting to kill each other, really. Um, right through to issues of, you know, parenting, differences in parenting um, skills or, you know, so the, the, the range is very vast in terms of what couples bring in couples therapy and the, and the reason why they seek therapy and help with their relationship. And other reasons is they, they, they might not have a specific problem. But they just want to create the space to, to be able to talk about, you know, or just to improve the skills or just to fine tune some of the skills. They, they, they need to have a, an effective relationship. It's impossible, I think, you know, just based on what you said, to even list the types of couples that we see, the dynamics mm. that we would see. Mm. And yes. b- before, we, before we started recording this, you and I were chatting about um, couples therapy and how couples therapists are like Jedis. They have to do Jedi mind tricks, so to speak. Um, <laughs> Because it's, and I, I remember being, I remember the training I had on this when I, I was studying my master's in, in Australia. Couples therapy is hard work. Mm, it is mm, really mm. challenging work for the therapist because you've got 
not only two people sitting in front of you, you've got the relationship, which is your Mm. client, and you've got the dynamic between them. So you're Mm. actually trying to manage two people's emotions, the relationship Mm -hmm. and the dynamic all in one go. So what exactly was it about couples therapy? If you're told, we're told, we're warned how tough it is, how challenging it is. What was it that drew you to become a couples therapist? I think, you know, that's a really, really interesting question because I, I think, look, I've had, always had a bit of an interest in, in attachment and relationship. Um, so that was part of it. But also I felt that it was a an area of psychology that was quite desperately underrepresented, actually. You know, when I was first starting to practice, you know, to try and find therapists who were comfortable to to work with couples was actually really challenging. It was almost, you know, if I take my therapist head off for a moment and put my business head on for a while, it was almost like, you know, there was a gap in the market for the therapists who deal with couples. So, you know, that, that kind of drew me to, to it as well, but also this kind of interest because I think it's so, so layered. There's so many aspects of it um, that really kind of just fascinated me. Um, and also just being able to provide a space to, to help couples, really, who really are going through some difficult times, um, you know, whether that be based on whatever's happening in the here and now in their relationship or what has been happening in the past from, you know, stuff that, from their family of origins that they're kind of bringing into the relationship. That kind of thing really, really fascinated me. And as I said, I just felt that there was a real need to um, provide that kind of space for couples. And then added to that, I mean, I've, I've always had an interest in, in, in sex and sex therapy and, and sexuality and sexology. So it kind of made sense that that would become part of, of you know, this, the offering that I was, was providing to clients. Um, and it's just, it's just grown really. As I said, when I first started, I was really going in quite blind, um, but then, sort of doing readings and joining various um, peer um, supervision groups and reading groups and reading, doing my own study and research. I feel like I've become more comfortable as a, but I mean, you're right, it's absolutely exhausting. I mean, because of all of the, the dynamics and the energies that are going on and just sort of trying to make sense and hold all of this emotion and, and stuff can be quite demanding um, from the therapist. That's why self-care is so very important. And I think therapist self-care is probably an episode I'm going to do in the near future. Um, mm. In this space, it's it's particularly important. But if, mm. if I guess I, I want to talk a little bit about COVID and couples in a moment, but mm. uh, and and it kind of just made me think the self-care train of thought led me there. But I often find that. And I'm sure you, you get this dynamic too. It's, it's a really common dynamic. When a couple comes to couple therapy, one of them has made the arrangements and the appointments and the other one feels like they're being dragged there. Is that something you mm. see often? It, it does happen, yes. Where, and it's usually the male of, if it's a heterosexual couple, it's usually the male of the relationship who feels like they've been dragged along. Um, and, you know, although are kind of keen, are not completely invested in the process and I think often it is about just being able to reassure both of the party or both of the relationship that it's not a matter of that you know me as a therapist is going to sit there and, and take sides and judge and tell whoever's wrong and whoever is right um, it's really you know reassuring them that the relationship is the client and it's really trying to make sense and understand and explore the dynamics within their relationship in order to help them kind of tweak or fine tune some of the, the problems that they're having, but also you know, creating the space to be able to go and help with, with trauma, you know, any, any form of trauma that's happened within the relationship. So, yeah, there is always, there does tend to be one of the party that's quite reluctant to be there. But I think, you know, after a period of time, I think their defences will come down and they'll start seeing the value of being in that space, you know, because it's not meant to be, you know, telling them that they're wrong and they've been a bad person and 
me as a therapist is taking their partner's side over their side. You know, it's not about that at all. And I think that's one of the probably the most common myths about couples therapy that I mean, I'm sure you've heard it. I've heard it often about taking sides and you know being in judgment. I, I've had that very, very often, and that's why mm. I've said it. You said it. We emphasize that the relationship is the client, not either of mm. partners, and mm. we. It's it's a it's a really it's a really really thin tightrope that a couples therapist has to to walk in in mm. in that dynamic because you have personalities and you have belief systems and you have so much that goes into also that so much that comes into the room with you mm. as a couple or with you as the therapist uh, with the couple that yes. it actually can be it actually can be quite challenging as another layer of complexity to try and navigate the dynamic where one partner mm. thinks you're siding with the other or there's preferential mm. treatment towards the other but you mm. you you also mentioned you know that is one of the kind of myths that we need to bust around couples therapy so what are some of the b- biggest misconceptions other than that because i think that that is what stops a lot of people or these these myths that i'm thinking of anyway that's what stops a lot of people from seeking couples therapy I think a lot of the myths that we we kind of get come from sort of popular media. Certainly if you look at movies and series and whatever, where they do have a couple's therapist portrayed on television, it kind of shows, the word that pops into my head is a pathologized view of couple's therapy, actually. You know, where there's this kind of therapist who is siding with one of the party and is aiming to split up the relationship by sleeping with, with the husband or the wife, um, or they're going to have an affair with one of the, the people, or that the the sessions become overly sexualized, that you know you end up kind of taking all your clothes off as part of the process, or that as I mentioned before, that there's going to be a myth that we're going to take sides and you know we're going to blame or shame one of the party. Um, you know, the, the, the list is endless, I, I, I guess. It's, it's just, I mean, as, as, as many reasons as people come into therapy or, or couples therapy, the, the, there are myths surrounding couples therapy. Um, and I just want to assure people it's, it's not like that at all. It really is about, you know, creating a safe space um, for, for, for the exploration of work, of, of, of space to to explore and understand and make sense and be curious about the relationship and how the dynamics of the two people within the relationship all three or four people in that relationship play a role in into the relationship and you know looking at what has caused the the the, the issues or concerns that bring them into and trying to find a way of helping them so i mean yeah to answer your question there are many myths and you know, I've heard over the years. <laughs> One of the ones that kind of stands out for me and I hear all the time is the couple comes in, they sit down on the couch and one partner turns and points to the other partner and then looks at me and says, they're broken, sort them out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dynamic. Um, <clears throat> I, also, I, I, I want to mention something after I've, I've, I've kind of gone over this because I, I really want to know, I think this happens to me as well, but I'll come back to it in a second. But yeah, this is a really standard dynamic. And I think this is the number one thing I would almost want people to know about couples therapy. You do not come to couples therapy for the therapist to fix your partner. You actually are coming to couples therapy to, to, to work on yourself with mm. your partner they're working yes. on themselves you're working on yourself and together yes. we're going to find some harmony some healing some some connection some intimacy whatever it is we're looking absolutely for. yeah yeah i've had a, a couple of clients over the years where or couples where one of the party or the, the uh, couple will bring out a list you know, yeah. and this will be the first time that this poor part the, the, the husband or the wife has seen or heard about this list there'll be a list of issues that you know that they're bringing or problems that they bring into the relationship and you know often it is about the person who's got the list um, not actually being able to be aware of how they kind of are complicit or they also have their own issues that they bring into the relationship as well. so you know scorecarding is real <laughs> 
It's 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 absolutely <laughs> real, and that is not what you are going to get out of out of uh, couples therapy. We are not going to be able to stop your husband or wife dropping socks on the floor. That is <laughs> that is not the point of couples therapy. The the point the the question I wanted to ask you. So it's really funny, mm. and it's it's always entertained me. So I guess if you're listening to this and you've come to see me, you'll know that I was chuckling on the inside when this happened. But when I see a couple for the very first time. You know, they've just met me and we just start off the session. I always get to know people a little bit before I delve into why it is that they've come to see me. And so I get to know them and then I'll say, okay, so tell me a little bit about what brings you here today. And they'll look at each other (laughs) and then it's a heterosexual couple. He'll say, do you want to go first? Or she'll say, Mm -hmm. I'll go first. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I get that too a lot. (laughs) I always chuckle when I see that because it's just it's just so beautiful to see this you know there's this hesitation of like okay wait who should who should go here what should we do um yeah. but I guess it also says a lot for us we 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 are looking into that and making sense of that the meaning behind that as well mm, um mm. but okay so let's let's touch on a, a little bit about the issues that that the most common issues anyway and maybe mm. maybe this is where COVID can come into it because yes. Obviously, I'm a I'm a clinical sexologist, so I practice predominantly in the in the in the sexuality space. But when couples are coming to see me, they usually think that the problem is sex. Mm. And then once mm. I do the assessment, I realize they realize everyone comes to the epiphany that actually no sex is 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 showing us that there's a problem somewhere else, and usually that's yes. the relationship dynamic. Mm. So most people are coming to see me because they think sex is the problem. The relationship dynamic is the issue. But obviously, mm-hmm. we've got lots of different types of, of difficulties that couples face that bring them into therapy. So mm-hmm. what are kind of the most common ones that you're seeing? And then the follow-up question to that is, have those most common ones changed in the past year since we've kind of been in lockdown and been dealing with a global pandemic? I think the, the, the word that sort of pops into my head is a common miscommunication. You know, it's it's about not being able to find a way of of communicating one's needs with with one's partner, uh, and you know that being an issue for for a number of years or a long time, and not really being addressed or not really having the skills to be able to address it. And it's kind of progressively got worse over the years to a point where the couple are so kind of distant or emotionally disconnected from each other. They kind of had a realization, oops, you know, we're in this relationship, but we don't really know each other anymore. We don't talk to each other. And then it kind of almost sends out this frenzy of panic that they need to fix this. You know, they need to learn how to communicate and connect with each other um, more. And I mean, I, th- I think that kind of underpins many of the issues that, that I see certainly as, as, as a couple's therapist. I think you add in a, the layer of sex, you know, the couple are no longer having sex or the sex is no longer satisfactory or they're no longer able to talk about it or there's just a massive great gap, you know, in being able to, 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 to tackle, you know, their sex lives together. Some of the more common stuff I'm seeing now is is really playing around with the, the, the boundaries of the relationship. You know, um, I'm seeing increasingly couples coming into therapy to talk about, you know, um, conscious non-monogamy, whether that's um, as an open relationship or even thinking about polyamory as an option. Um, I've seen a couple of couples or throuples, should I say, recently. Um, which has been quite an interesting um, dynamic to work with. Can you just explain um, what a thruple is for somebody who's listening and doesn't know that? Sure, story? yes. Uh, a thruple is, is, I guess, a form of, of polyamory where instead of having two people in a relationship, there are actually three people in a relationship. So you would have the couple and perhaps a partner to one or both of them. So it's it's quite fascinating then that that more recently you're you're working around boundaries of relationships mm. um do you mm. think do you think that has to do with covid do you think that has to do with people wanting to explore more why is it that that's something you're seeing more of i think it's a way of, i think it's actually i mean i was starting to see this before covid came along 
I think it's something to do with couples, you know, realizing actually that their partners cannot be the alpha and omega of their needs. They cannot provide all of their needs. Um, and I mean, Esther Perel talks about this in her book, on The State of Affairs, so much more eloquently than I do. But it's about, you know, we put so much emphasis on our partners to be everything to us, you know, to be our lovers, our best friends, our soulmates, our, our supporters, etc. And I think there's a kind of acknowledgement that that's just simply not feasible for a long-term relationship. So couples are looking at, I think, other ways and means of having their needs fulfilled outside of the relationship. Um, and of course, that in itself brings out a lot of um, dynamics in terms of fears and jealousies and insecurities, um, which you know, needs a space really to, to, to be able to be explored and, and work through. Um, and I, I found that, I'm sure you found the same, that, that couples who have embarked in open relationships, for example, who have not done this groundwork, who have not really explored this, really get themselves into a lot of problems along the line. You know, where one of the, for example, one of the people in the relationship will um, and have emotional attachment to someone that they thought they were going to have a random hookup with or, you know, that they were doing something outside of the relationship with. And you know, the groundwork hasn't been done to be able to, to deal with that. But then it becomes, a, you know, a, a problem within, within the relationship. Um, and we also, you know, one of the things that I see often, and I'm sure you're the same, is infidelity popped up time and again. You know, <laughs> we kind of like the almost like the bread and butter of, of couples therapy is is infidelity, and one of the party has had an affair, and the, the trauma that that causes, and what does it mean to the relationship, and how are they going to either rebuild this relationship or do they decide to end the relationship? I mean, that's that's a common theme that comes up a lot. And I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be a sexual affair. It can be, you know, an emotional affair. It can be, you know, someone's on, um, I don't know, one of the apps or someone goes on to Pornhub, for example, and they don't tell their partner and the partner finds out um, and it causes issues around trust and um yeah, with trust in the relationship. I also think that what's fascinating is that there's a there's also a misconception around infidelity that 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 means the end of a relationship and what mm. i often see is actually that's the revival of a relationship mm. and i know that that you know our wonderful Esther Perel speaks about the same thing yes so i guess any couple that's going to couples therapy and if, if we look at john gottman's work he says yes. i think it's 6 or 7 years for the couple to get to couples therapy that's yes. a really long time for things to be going south. Really long. Exactly. exactly. And so usually by the time the couple walks through our doors or now pops up on our Zoom screen, they they are usually at, at in dire straits. And I've often heard that, you know, this is our this is the last chance. This is our last chance. You know, we're gonna yes. try everything. That's a lot of pressure for a couple's therapist, don't you think? Oh, very much so. And they usually sort of like throw it onto you as a couple's therapist to say fix us. Otherwise, our relationship is over. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it was John Gottman that also said he, he kind of asks the question in a first session, who out of the couple has seeked legal advice on, on divorce or separation? Because statistically, at least one or both of the party by year seven, when they come into our offices, have sought some sort of legal advice on divorce or separation. Um, so we usually are kind of like, with a with a what is it the trauma paramedics of the relationship, you know, and actually if they'd come into the therapy room and sort spoke to us, you know, years earlier, I think the the effectivity of of our work would have been a lot lot um, I don't want to say better, but you know, more effective. Let's go with that. And um, with that said, however, even if a couple is in absolute crisis and trauma. You know, perhaps it isn't the end of the relationship. And as you say, it's a, it's, you know, I always think, you know, if, if you're reaching rock bottom you know, in whatever you're doing, the only way is up, really. 
So, you know, even even if the couple are in absolute distress and pain and, and trauma, you know, perhaps it's setting the scene for a whole new way of doing this relationship. There's no longer any sort of pretense anymore. There's no more hidden secrets. There's no more be as authentic as you want to, I suppose, because you've, you've hit that point of rock bottom, I think. I really wanted to do this episode today with somebody as experienced as you on a, on on this specific topic to to hopefully encourage people not to wait 6 to 7 years which is mm. you know the average before going to seek help and you know in the time that I've been practicing I've seen a lot of couples young couples you know in their early 20s you know married or just dating lots of young couples and I actually always commend them. I always say to them, it's awesome that you're here. It it doesn't matter how old you are. The fact is that things started going in a different direction from what you both wanted. And you'd made the decision to come to therapy, to see a couples therapist, to resolve those issues earlier rather than later. And as you say, the sooner a couple comes to couples therapy, the not easier it is, but just the the less painful, actually, I think it is. Mm to resolve those issues. So for for any couple that is listening, if you're having difficulties, I think I really want to address the fact that there is no shame in seeing a couple's therapist. Mm-hmm. No shame. And contacting someone like Stephen to to have support is is so, so important. You know, if, mm-hmm. if we've broken our arm, we are going to go to casualty and get it x-rayed and get it put into a sling or a cast. So we're getting support, we're getting treatment. If mm. our partner is struggling with some mental health stuff, you know, mental health difficulties, we're going to want to be there for them and support them and get them support. So why is it that when we are struggling as a, as a, you know, as couple, as partners and in our mm. relationship, we, we can't get support for that. I think there's a lot of shame and stigma around seeking couples therapy. Mm. I agree. I agree. And, you know, just to talk about um, the families where the couple come from, you know, often, uh, I'm sort of you know, loath to generalise here, but often um, the, the couple come into couple therapy and when you sort of take their history and the history of their, their family of origin and their parents' relationship and grandparents' relationship, often you can see patterns emerging um, because they've learned effectively what a relationship is all about from you know primary caregivers and, and, and people who are close to them in their families and even friends. And you can see the kind of problems kind of starting to creep in when you talk about parents and grandparents' relationship. And they bring all of that stuff into their their relationship. You know, my heart goes out to some people because they're trying the best they can with, you know, often skills that were never taught to them. You know, for example, being taught how to, to talk about sex, you know, with a partner even. It's just not taught. You know, we're not taught about um, our bodies or we're not talk of, spoken about, or we're not taught about um, pleasure and you know, how to seek pleasure sexually. Um, and we're not taught how to pleasure a partner. You know, we have to kind of figure it out ourselves. Um, and then, you know, the communication stuff. I mean, so many couples that I see, their parents' relationships were very problematic or you know, very dysfunctional, or in many cases, violent and a lot, a lot of anger or completely emotionally disconnected or divorced, or whatever the case may be. And they bring all of that into their relationship. So you're really often having to start from square one with them about, you know, talking about how do you talk about how you feel? You know, how are you feeling? What is your emotions? Are you happy, sad, glad? You know, all of those kind of basics of emotions this is the stuff that we assume everyone knows but actually it's not the case at all but very often it's about going back to the very basics and and, and talking and teaching them um, about what it is to be in a, 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 a healthy relationship i find that if people learn effective communication mm. it, it is the number one skill that can change things, not just in a romantic relationship, but in work relationships, familial relationships, friendships, and so on. And I really wish that that was something we were taught at school. I really wish we had, you know, a whole module in life orientation or, you know, any kind of life skill 
course that we have at school on effective communication. And obviously mm. I, I would love something more comprehensive than what kids currently get on sex, but Effective communication skills are are learnt over time and often never learnt at all. You have to be taught how to communicate effectively or you have to be shown by a parent or a caregiver when you're younger how to communicate effectively. And I think that if couples can come into therapy with the understanding that first and foremost, communication needs to be effective, it needs to be Mm. productive, it needs to be connected, then Mm. they're already miles ahead if they can just focus on that. Do you think that that's right? I do. I absolutely do. I mean, that's most of the battle if they can just communicate and talk about when also being in tune with what they want. You know, very often a couple, one of the, the people in the couple, not able to verbalize their own needs. They're not even able to, to know what they want. So it's very much going back to that kind of level about saying, you know, what, what do you need out of this relationship? What do you want? out of this, this person that you're, you're, you're married to or in a relationship with. So we want couples to know, and I actually think anybody going into therapy should, should know this if you've never been to therapy before. The therapist is not there to do the work for you. <laughs> you, you are actually going to do the work. I know a lot of people hope and wish, and I know sometimes I've said to my own therapist, like, just give me the instruction manual, please. Like, I don't want to do the work. Just tell me what to do. We don't do that, right? And I know that frustrates the daylights out of people. So what what would you advise couples on to get the most out of therapy, out of their couples therapy space? I mean, couples therapy is is expensive and it takes Mm -hmm. time. So what, what advice would you give to couples to really get the most out of the experience to get the furthest in progressing with you? I think you mentioned the word time. I think that's very, very important. It's about, because, you know, we're often only with with the couple for an hour, hour and a half, maybe two hours per week. Um, so we've got all of this time where the couple are effectively together. And I think it is about creating and making the time for the work to happen outside of the room. You know, and I, I see that, and I'm sure you see this in your practice as well with couples, people's lives are so jam-packed and so full that they they almost don't have the time or they don't make the time for their relationship. I think you had the kind of the layer about people being exhausted and tired, and especially in COVID at the moment, people are just so drained and, and, and backed by this. But they would far rather spend more time on social media and and less time talking to their partner. So in order to get, you know, the, the, the effectiveness of couples therapy, they really do need to be making the time to be together and finding ways of connecting with each other outside of the therapy room, you know, whether that's finding a hobby that they enjoy doing together or, you know, going on dates with each other again and talking to each other. And, you know, in COVID and and lockdown and everything, going on a date may be a bit tricky. You know, we can't go to restaurants like we used to be able to and things like that. You know, even just going for a walk together or just walking in the garden if if you're lucky enough to have a garden or, you know, just being able to spend time with each other without being distracted by other people, other things, chores, children, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's just so vitally important. And creating the space to be able to talk to each other from a place that, you know, from an emotional place, you know, being able to talk and say, I'm feeling anxious today, I'm feeling scared, or I'm feeling happy. You know, those kind of things are so vitally important. You, you, you made a, such an interesting point there, Stephen, that, mm. you know, yes, the hard work happens in between the sessions, of course, because mm. that's when mm. the, the processing happens and, you know, the interactions are happening that then is brought to the next week. But mm. you, it's, it's not, it doesn't have to be all doom and gloom. And if you can mm. focus your energy on reconnecting in fun ways, and fun doesn't have to cost money, it doesn't have to be out and yeah. about, as you've rightly so pointed out, yeah. just, just making an effort, actually, to mm. do something out of the ordinary, out of the domestic routine, outside of your cell phones, your work calls, your kids, you know, yeah cleaning, all of that. Yes. <laughs> oh my goodness, cleaning during lockdown. Anyway, um, 
it's enough to test a relationship. Uh, yes. But do it together. Clean well, together. Yes, exactly. But I, I guess, you know, you're either going to get those couples. I was very fortunate. I am very fortunate. My other half will will do the dishes without, without me even asking. Whereas I heard from many, many of the couples that I'm working with that, you know, the... Uh, the the equality of domestic chores was not quite as they had hoped it would be. Uh-huh. Um, yes, yes. You know, lots of lots of tension and issues. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's 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 being able to just plan to do something different and fun together that doesn't have to cost money, that doesn't have to be wild. Walking in your garden, sitting and having a drink in your garden in the evenings, mm. going on a shopping trip together to get groceries and grabbing yes. a coffee while you're doing it, or you know, going to just get a nice little piece of cake or something, something small, something mm. unusual, something different, just to bring some lightness back into the space that often feels so dark. Absolutely. And often people will say, well, no, they expect they expect themselves to have these kind of deep and meaningful and emotional conversations with their partner. And I always say to them, don't, don't have that expectation. Just spend time together without any sort of um, distractions. And then if conversation comes, that's great. If it doesn't, if you sit silently in a comfortable silence with each other, that's also fine. You know, if you can just find the time or make the time to spend time together, you know, those kind of emotional conversations will come in time. It doesn't have to be like, you don't have to be, you know, sometimes they think that we're sort of sprinting a marathon as opposed to you know, jogging a marathon uh, in terms of, of effective communication and spending time together. And you, you've, you've mentioned the word time many, many times. Mm. <laughs> and um, <laughs> it's, it's really imperative couples realise, I think anybody in therapy should realise that mm. nothing changes overnight. I always say to people, how long have you been struggling with these issues? And usually Mm. we know it's months or years. Um, Right. So it's not going to take a few weeks to resolve this. So give it time, be patient. And I think another thing that stands out for me is around expectations of therapy. Um, Mm. Expectations of therapy in that we aren't necessarily going to go from rock bottom to flying high. That's not going to be Mm. the trajectory. We're going to hit bumps in the road and those obstacles are going to come up and that's good. We're going to feel stuck. That's good. These are all moments to learn moments to implement skills. You've learned to practice communicating more effectively and to, to process in the therapy space. If I see, uh, you know, a couple that goes from rock bottom to flying high, my concern is that they're going to hit a bump and they're not going to know what to do because they haven't been able to practice those skills. Absolutely. I agree with you. Definitely. So, so when is it too late for couples therapy? I mean, is there such a thing? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, When is it too late? Look, I mean, I think I like, look, I'm a, I'm a bit of a romantic by nature anyway. So I always like to think, well, there is always hope. <laughs> um, so even if um, the couple are at war with each other, you know, the mere fact that they are at war with each other and can be angry with each other shows that they have emotions towards each other, that they're not completely ambivalent. I suppose ambivalence is, is the one that really, is it too late then for the couples therapy where the, the couple are completely disconnected, ambivalent. There's no hope for them to ever find the path back to each other. They just aren't connected at all. and They're just not interested. Would that be then too late for the couple? I'm not sure. I think one of the things that always sits with me is domestic violence. Uh, if, the, the perpetrator, if you will, of, of domestic violence isn't willing to, to seek help for his or her own stuff. And they can't commit to creating a safe and, and violent-free home environment. Then, you know, one could argue that perhaps the safety of, of, of the person in the relationship is of paramount. And would you look at sort of helping them find a place of safety to be and would that mean the end of the relationship? I think there is a possibility of that um you know often i find that by the time the mere fact that they come into couples therapy means that there is an element of hope there there's an element of something a glimmer that might that you might be able to work with i think if if 
they don't come into therapy and just end. Um, but if they come into therapy and they're just willing to give it one last chance, uh, maybe there's something that they can work with if, if they're coming into couples therapy, a glimmer that you can work with. But with that said, the couple needs to also make the commitment to work on that, that, that glimmer as well in their own time. You know, they have to make changes. They have to do things differently because clearly what was happening in the past was not working. But perhaps there were elements of things that were working and we need to find what was working and build on that uh, and try and sort of jettison the stuff that wasn't working. I'm just a kind of romantic and I always think that, you know, the mere fact that they've come into therapy means that there is a glimmer of hope. And we always need to be hopeful in therapy. People need hope. Mm. It's humanity yes. needs hope. I mean, for goodness sake, with this COVID pandemic, we've all needed oh, hope. You know, yes, vaccine mm. seems to hold on to hope, but again, we don't know when we we can we hold out for. I mean, hope is mm. imperative. So, I, I do agree with you on everything that you've said. I think we want to always hope that things can be different. There are obviously yes. certain circumstances in which we know it's actually unsafe. You know, where there's yes. domestic violence and risk and things like that, mm. but. It, you often, well, I don't know, you you might not, but I have seen couples where they're coming to therapy and one of one of the couple, one of the partners is desperate for things to change. Yes. And you can, as the therapist, clearly see the other partners checked out. It's their way of trying to to mitigate the damage or trying to yes. to, to prepare for collateral damage, if I can use mm. that term. Mm-hmm. It almost becomes a bit of a tick box exercise for that particular part. You know, they'll say, "Oh well, you know, we'll, we'll go to therapy as a, as a tick box." But you know, you can see that they they they're checked out of the process. They're not they're not really into it. And usually, I've kind of seen that those are the ones that don't stay in therapy. You know, they 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 come for one or two sessions and then you know, they they kind of go, um, which is which is tough. It's hard. Yeah. You know what? I, I think it's all, it's actually important for me to say this and I want to own up to this because I I always strive to normalize people's experiences. So I've mm. I've had that experience in couples therapy. I was the partner that was checked out already. And mm. I can confirm what Stevens just said. One and a half sessions in, it finished. Yeah. And yeah. I already knew I was checked out. I didn't want to admit it. And the partner I was with at the time didn't want to didn't want to accept that I didn't mm. want it anymore. And the therapist we saw was very, very good and uh, picked this up quite quickly. But as therapists, as couples therapists, we can pick that up. We are aware of that. But sometimes, and again, I can say this from a personal perspective, we, we need to go through the motions in order mm. to get to that point. And if going to couples therapy is what you need to do at the time in order yeah. to, for whatever reason, then mm. that's something that needs to happen. Um you know, so couples therapy is hard. Again, I can vouch for this personally, and uh, yes. I can vouch for this as the therapist. Yes, it's I hard. can also vouch for it personally and the therapist. It's hard work. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> I, it's so important for people to know that even yes. therapists need therapists. You know. Oh yes, yes, yes. But, I think we both we speak, we both sat on that couch with our respective partners being sort of in this in the hot seat. We both know what it's like. <laughs> yes, and I'd like to just share with listeners that it doesn't matter that we're therapists. Let me tell you, all of that goes out the window. <laughs> all of that goes out the window. Your logic, yeah. your sensibility, your understanding of dynamics in relationship, gone. Completely, anyway. yeah, because so, we're too close. Sometimes uh, we're too, we, we, it's too sort of personal to us. Absolutely. We don't have, and the good thing about being a therapist when we're working with clients is we have distance, we have objectivity, whereas for ourselves, we that just goes out the window, <laughs> that's exactly what happens all logic disappears <laughs> yes. yes exactly so i mean we know it's incredibly hard um sitting on the client side the couch and we also know that it's it can be incredibly rewarding and you and i will know from many 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 of the couples we've worked with how yes. how it can be transformative for them in in yes. their relationship so for any couple who's listening who who might be a little bit hesitant or skeptical or not know if it's the right space, is there anything that you could share that could encourage people to to seek out couples therapy and why? Mm, look, I think all of the things that I've mentioned throughout the, the podcast have you know, 
something for people to think about. But I mean, I think it's that acknowledgement that, you know, relationships are hard work, um, but they are rewarding. That the couple therapy is, is, you know, can be very demanding and hard work and emotional. But, you know, we're there to, to help. You know, we're there to help with the process, to be curious, to be kind, to be compassionate. We understand, we understand that this is a very difficult process. And you're just to, just to give it a go, you know, just go for one session, just to see what, what, it, what it's like if you're, if you're not sure. And, you know, acknowledging that it's a very, very, very brave step. To, to pick up the phone or to drop an email to to inquire about making an appointment for couples therapy, but also to, to reassure that it doesn't mean that your relationship is absolutely destroyed or there's some shame in it all. You know, it's not that at all. It's about just being, you know, wanting to, to tweak and fine tune and to gain skills, but also to, to create the space to perhaps be able to talk about what's really going on inside, you know, really a, a, a non-judgmental space to allow your defenses to come down and really, really kind of engage with your partner in a very different way, perhaps, than what you've been used to. And I, you know, with the couples that I have worked with for a number of years, see that the space is beneficial, you know, that they've grown as a couple and individually from, from, from going through the process. So I would urge any couple who, you know, just, I think, you know, I think it did actually, we should always, in relationships, going for couples therapy from day one, actually, you know, just to be able to make sure that we're not blindsided by something in our relationship that could become a big issue um, seven years down the line or whatever the case may be. That's, that's really, really valuable advice. Do not mm. wait. Do not mm. hesitate. Get into couples therapy and, and resolve the concerns a lot more, a lot less painfully and a lot more quickly than they might take 10, seven or 10 mm. years down the line. Mm. So Stephen, in, in the time you've been working with couples, what is something that continues to surprise you about the work that you do or has surprised you, you know, in a dramatic way in the work? I think one of the things that surprises me, it's, it's not surprises me, but it, 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 it's, I think it gives me strength, actually, when this, this kind of um, work can become tiring and draining. The, the resilience and the robustness of our clients to, to a certain extent, be able to sort, sort out their own problems and solve their own problems, but also to be living under such immense pressure and stress and anxiety and whatever's going on in, in their lives and to be able to function you know, as best as they can. It never fails to amaze me that people have got really, really hard lives and yet they carry on. They function, they get up in the morning, they go to work, they, they have kids, they, they have marriages and whatever the case may be. And it's just, it just fills me with strength that they're able to, to do that under very, very demanding circumstances. The other thing that surprises me often is about not doing the work to future-proof their relationship earlier. And what I mean by that is often the logistical stuff. But for me, I'm quite a, a logical person some of the time. But it, things like who does what in the house, the, the division of, of duties. You know, we must forget this kind of gender, gender stereotype about men not, you know, unloading the dishwasher and all that nonsense. You know, it's about sitting down together and saying who's responsible for what in this relationship. And who pays for what? Another thing that surprises me often is couples who don't sit down and budget together. And it often causes a massive problem within the relationship later on. And I often say to clients that it is about seeing your relationship as a business, actually. You know, yes, we've got all the romance and the passion and the desire and the, the eroticism that comes with it, hopefully, uh, and the connection. But also we've got to see our relationships as businesses. And who's in charge of human resources? And who's in charge? Who's the financial director? And who's the CEO? And who takes out the trash? And who does this? And often they can have a discussion like that maybe early in the relationship, but it certainly isn't a regular discussion because, you know, things change. You know, one of the party might have been earning more money at the beginning of the relationship and now the other one's earning more, but they've never really renegotiated 
who pays for what. So they often can bring about some resentment that is not dealt with you know, when things change within the relationship. So I urge couples to really do that work you know, regularly, sit down and decide who does what, who pays for what, and share the budget with each other. Don't just let it be one person's responsibility, but sit down together and go through the spreadsheet of the budget and actually make sure you both fully understand it and who are and you're able to negotiate who, who does what that is such an important and uh, fantastic place for us to end off mm-hmm. this discussion and i have no doubt that people have more questions and they want to come and see you well i hope they want to come and see you mm. i i refer to you a lot because i know you're such a great therapist and oh, thanks, where can people find you how do they reach you is there any work that you're doing that they need to know about um, I, I, my website maybe is uh, www.stephenlaverack.co.za. So that's Stephen S T E P H E N Laverack is L A V E R A C K. Um, so they can check my website, and all of my contact details are on there. Uh, my practice is in Fairland in Johannesburg. However, with COVID, we are unable to work online as well. Um, so yeah, that's that's a little bit about my practice. I work with individual people and I work with couples as well. Well, I have no doubt people will be reaching out to you. I think that this, mm. I well, I hope that this podcast episode will be a a little bit of a glimmer into what one can expect from couples therapy. And I hope that it means that people won't wait because mm. we know that Thank people you. people avoid the things that they are, feel uncomfortable about or uncertain about. So. Perhaps yes. this episode and this discussion that we've had today will provide people with just a little bit more certainty and a little bit more knowledge so that they can take action to resolve the difficulties that they're facing. Absolutely, absolutely. Thanks, Stephen. Thank you, Kate. <laughs> this episode was sponsored by Desir. Desir believes that sexual health is not just about the latest sex toy, but about using products to improve one's overall sexual health and well-being. For 15% off, use the code for a friend. And if you enjoyed this episode, why not subscribe to this podcast and continue learning about some incredible and fascinating topics that we need to know more and talk more about. You can subscribe and follow this podcast on your favorite platform. And if you've enjoyed this episode, I'd be grateful if you would rate and review it. Do you have a question you'd like to ask for a friend? Reach out to me via my website or Instagram, and I'll be sure to include it in an upcoming episode.